This is the True North Collective podcast, a gathering of unsugarcoated conversations on authenticity, created by the real-life documentation of everyday humans fearlessly finding their true north. Welcome to season four of the podcast. Hi, I'm Rachel. Yosemite is definitely my next destination. I have leftover tie-dye ink that is embedded in my fingernails and it looks like I have zombie hands and I'm craving more tattoos. My name is Sahila, and I love sour candy of all kinds. I don't discriminate. I so love running. It's my preferred form of exercise. And I have 11 siblings. <laughs> I come from a really big family. Hi, I'm Janelle. I'm a generator in human design. I love hummus and my favorite Spice Girl was Baby Spice. And we are your hosts of the True North Collective podcast. Hello, everyone. Before we get into today's episode, we did just want to share a trigger warning. This episode includes conversations around suicide, sexual assault, mental health, depression, and many other topics that could be triggering for you as a listener. We encourage you all to either skip over or pause and really just trust yourself and see what is going to feel right for you. Okay, let's jump in. I never would have guessed that. I know. I was thinking about that today. Mm -hmm. What would you have guessed? I mean, sporty spice. (laughs) I was, okay, I just went down like a rabbit hole in my mind of like favorite spice girl. Or do you guys know they were called generation girls? They were Barbie dolls. Mm-mm. No, not, no. I feel like they were not very mainstream, but they were actually pretty progressive. They were Barbie dolls, like there was normal Barbie, but then they were basically kind of like how American Girl doll did, like you know, here's like Josefina, here you know these people from all these different backgrounds. It was basically a diverse group of Barbie dolls, and <laughs> so there was like one she was from Asia, and you know she had a red hair, and then there was another one that was I don't know. They were like all different types, and. I had Barbie in that group too. So the basic white girl (laughs) and then baby spice. But then I also had the like cool edgy girl from Asia too. I don't remember. I feel like she was from Japan. I'm saying Asia because I don't really remember, but somewhere over there. (laughs) What did you like about baby spice? (laughs) I don't even know. She was just my favorite. I don't like, I can't even remember why, but I was like, I always wanted to be her. That was the one I aspired to. Which one do you think I would be? scary fuck yeah (laughs) (laughs) so what would be your preferred spice girl (laughs) well my preferred spice girl was also baby spice Hmm. and so when you said that I was like yeah baby spice I think it's because she was like kind of innocent and like she had the pigtails and she was cute and I felt like I was very like naive and like kind of cutesy feminine when I was like I had I wasn't sexual at all when the Spice Girls were a thing so for me it's like she most resembled me that's an interesting take yeah yeah I I think I'm older than both of you right how old are you Sahila I'm 33 okay I'm I'm like I'm 38 Yeah, I I feel like that probably makes more sense because I was definitely like, yeah, Midwestern kid and just like, oh, she's the sweet one. Yeah, she's not like the super because I would have never at 
whatever, seven or eight, imagine myself as posh or even like scary spice or sporty spice. I was just some like chubby little <laughs> kid in the Midwest. So yeah, like, yeah. Baby spice is close. I could be that maybe. That's so funny. And I'm like, no, scary spice all day. <laughs> um, so 11 siblings. Yes. So um, my dad had a bunch of kids while he was not married. Um, so I have like five half siblings. Actually, there's actually more of us because like with my step siblings from my mom's new marriage, I think it brings us to like 14, but we like we never all of us, like 14 of us get together. It's usually a lot of them like live in, I don't want to say a lot of them, but a few of them live in uh, Europe. So um, it, it makes it obviously a little bit harder to get together over the holidays, especially last holiday because of COVID and stuff. But yeah, there's some, there's quite a few, there was at one point in my life where I found out I had a new sibling like every two years and I was just like, okay, okay. Is this, are we just pulling them out of a hat now? (laughs) Like where are they coming from? Um, But yeah, it, you know, was really funny there for a second to find out that I had such a big family. That's Um, kind of fun. Yeah. I would say how many, like, did you actually feel like you grew up with like under the same household, same roof? So in my immediate family, there's four of us. And then my half brother, Marcus, who grew up in Germany, Switzerland, um, Swiss German, he moved in with us when he was 19 and I was like an infant. Um, So that was the five of us was the main core. So what number are you? I am the baby of my mom, like of my mom's kids. And so my dad only got married once to my mom uh, and he had four kids with her. So I'm the baby of that group, but there are two younger than me that I know of. You should say that (laughs) I know of. I love that. Oh, that's super fun. My mom is one of 10 and she's like towards the youngest too, but it, and then my dad was one of four, but it is interesting because when you have a family that big, like on my mom's side, it was just sort of, we sort of like defaulted because I think I have, I'm sure yours is similar. It's like 45 first cousins, like 35 second cousins, like just on my mom's side. So it's like to get that many people together. And a lot of them, yeah, also like remarried or got divorced like two, three, four times. So it's just like to draw a family tree is crazy. (laughs) It's like impossible. I'm like, I don't even know how we're related anymore. (laughs) But, um, but I found like, we just couldn't really figure out a way to like fit all those people in one space so a lot of times we also just defaulted more to my dad's side because it's like oh we can fit 20 of us in a room versus like we can't fit all 150 of us <laughs> to one space although that would be really fun if you had like a family reunion and then everyone came back for that we did so that's the only reason why I know how many because we eventually did for my grandma I think it was her 90th birthday we got everyone together and we did the pictures and that's how I have the count because it was like all right here are all the kids. All right. Now here are the first cousins. All right. Now here are the second cousins. I'm all like, wait, what's your name? (laughs) Who are you? Who do you belong to? But yeah, I got to learn a little bit more just, but it's crazy when you have like that big of a family, how um, I feel like you lose track so quickly. Who do you belong to and how are we related? 
funny. All right, should we introduce Sahela? Yeah. Before we introduce Sohela, we wanted to remind you that the first Thursday of every month, we are offering our workshops. These are all about different facets of authenticity and a great space to explore and get to know yourself a little bit better. On the third Thursday of every month, we also offer our collective, our monthly community gathering, where we get a group of people together to be seen, to be celebrated, and to chat all things authenticity. We would love to see you there. Okay, let's jump back in. Right. So I'll jump in. Our third voice today, born and raised in Toronto, Canada. So Hela is a lifestyle content creator, self-taught photographer, travel writer, and mental health podcaster. Guided by her authenticity, so Hela loves connecting with her audience and adding a touch of color to their world through beautiful photos, vulnerable storytelling, and engaging conversations, which I know Rachel and I can both speak to because we had the opportunity to be on Sahela's podcast, which is really fun. Um, after years of suffering from PTSD, depression, and anxiety, Sahela opened up to her audience about her mental health struggles in 2019. And a year later, during a season of healing, she started her own mental health podcast, which we just referenced called Is That So Podcast, which aims to inspire, empower, and provide insights on various mental health and life topics so that others who are also struggling can find support and community too. Welcome to the podcast. Oh, good Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, I'm so excited to be here. <laughs> I feel like now you get to ask me all the questions and the tables have turned a little bit. I love it. I, I feel like it's fun when um, we do like go on someone else's podcast first and you come on ours because it's like we already have the rapport and I'm like, yeah, let's go. Like we got this. I know her. <laughs> yeah, so it's super fun. We're glad you're here. Yeah, and I had so much fun talking to you guys when you came on my podcast and learning more about you. So I'm really excited to dive into this today. Yeah, so we'll kick it off with our first question, which is, what does it look like to be Sohela today? Oh, my goodness. Um, <laughs> today was a pretty good day, but recently, um, you know, things have been a bit up and down. I don't know how things are going like on by you guys. Right now, the government of Ontario just issued like another lockdown and I've just been feeling very like depressed recently about being alone and not being able to see my friends and it's like a year and all that jazz and uh, my boyfriend's also been super busy at work and we live together and I pretty much rely on him for, you know, some kind of social aspect in a day. Um, and since he's been so busy, it's literally just been me and my dog. So we're up north at the cottage, which has been a lifesaver because having just the ability to have a quick change of scenery, even if, you know, we're going to be here for, you know, the next couple weeks and it's probably exactly the same routine and thing, just a change of scenery is really helping me and my sanity right now. So today was a good day. Um, we would love to just like get into a little bit more of your story. It sounds like you have had a lot of experiences. You've had a lot of growth in the past couple of years. 2019 um, was a big one for you. So would you be willing to jump into your story and share? Yeah, totally. So you know, where should, where should I start? I feel like if you ask someone their life story, they're like, okay. So um, hard. every time I'm like, ah, I don't know. <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah. So it's been quite a journey of self-discovery and in the, just the last couple of years, I've really started to do a lot of uh, self-reflection. I've, I've, like you mentioned before, I've dealt with depression and anxiety and, and PTSD. And for the longest time, like, I never thought that they were like correlated to something. I just thought it was something that like I, you know, had to deal with and was part of my life. And I wasn't really dealing with it necessarily in productive ways either. Like I've always been like a, uh, you know, good student or, you know, like a, have values. Um, but I would kind of cheat myself, you know, like I wasn't honoring my body. I would be like, I drink and smoke and, you know, I still do drink and smoke, but I just don't take things out on my body. Like I used to. And I try to work through issues instead of pushing them down and not being mindful about, um, you know, maybe something has triggered me and I should look into why and do some self-discovery. And um, it eventually got to the point where like I, I was, I would be depressed for months and months and I'd be working so hard on my content creation and stuff like that. And, you know, you'd find yourself very easily falling into these like comparison games or, you know, where you're comparing yourself to what everyone else is doing. And it's easy to spiral out of control. And I was doing that. And, and it took me really starting to pull myself out of a very dark place um, where I was like having suicidal and really start to address like, cause to me, life can't be like this. Like this, this can't be it. This can't be everything. And so once I started to actively pull myself out of a dark place and it didn't like, I, I honestly didn't know what I was doing and I was literally trying anything because like it couldn't make it worse at that point. You know what I mean? So once I started to down my healing journey, I was able to address a lot of things that happened in my past and things came up where I started to rem remember um, like maybe what caused some things and things that I had pushed away and pushed down or I, I myself and I was actually out out at an event and um I was looking on my phone and I saw that this person had added me and I hadn't thought of this person or seen this person or you know like they hadn't even crossed my my mind in over 10 years but I was having a panic attack like right away and then it obviously like brought back like, oh, the last time I, I saw this person and the last time I um, had an interaction with this person. And then it brought back all of these, like this shame and this anger and this, these memories. And it just made me really start to like, I, it was very visceral at first. And I was like, okay, I need to get out of this event because I feel like 
I don't know, like I was being watched or something. And um, I went home and I really was thinking about it. And I finally, after like 10 years, realized that like they had raped me and I was admitting it to myself. And that's why I stopped trusting myself and stopped honoring myself and stopped giving myself the the love that I deserved and and it caused me to be very destructive and have a lot of self-doubt and it caused me to develop negative feelings towards myself and just not give myself the the nurturing and the love that I deserved and it's in hindsight you realize like oh that's also when the depression started that's also when the PTSD started that's also when you started to have a lot of anxiety and you kept losing your path or you kept you know like partying really hard or you kept um sleeping around because you were trying to make whatever happened not seem like such a big deal because you were in control of your body but in reality that's not how to feel better that's not how to take your power back and that was something that took me a really long time and it took me starting my healing journey to really start to address that and um that's pretty much where I've been in the last year. Um, well, two years now because we've been in this pandemic for a year, but um, towards the end of the first year, I had done enough where I felt like I needed to help other people find some kind of healing too because I knew I wasn't the only one out there that felt you know like they couldn't trust themselves and they needed to do some healing and I decided to start my podcast and I've been on a healing journey ever since and having great conversations with people and and feeling empowered and inspired by other people's stories and I just you know like to take other people along for the ride so if the what if what I'm getting is helping me, you know, like they can tap into that too, because I think everyone could definitely use some support, especially right now. Cause like, you know, things are so crazy and you can't interact with your friends the way you used to. And you just feel so disconnected. Um, I just want to acknowledge you for the, for being able to own your story as yours, it's something that I am actively working on. And I hear you um, just holding what, what it has been real for you with um, grace and uh, strength and realness. Um, and it's something that I aspire to. Um, and I, I do have a question um, and it comes from, I will share vulnerably that two weeks ago, I was diagnosed with PTSD. 
Um, and I know when I was on your podcast with Janelle, um, I was <clears throat> starting to have conversations with, I've been kind of learning about polyvagal theory or had been for since last August. And I didn't really know where it was heading or what was going on with it. It took a very long time for me to um, even be able to cultivate safety within myself or what that even meant. I didn't realize that I was in survival mode pretty much always my whole life. And um, the pro that process of getting to a place where I have a name for what my experience has been, has been um, a lot. You know, it's on some levels helpful because I'm like, okay, now I can read about this and better understand that I'm not fucking crazy. And then on another hand, it's, it feels really heavy to be like, I have unhealed PTSD from over 20 years. For over 20 years, I've been living with this and somehow high functioningly living with it, even though inside it's been a train wreck. Um, and that's really dramatic. It's, you know, I still, anyways, I, my question is, um, how did you, when you started to realize like this happened to me, was it like immediately you were like, I need to get support for this? Or what was that process like? Because for me, it took a long time. Well, I think for like the long, like 10 years, essentially 10 years, I didn't address it. And as a matter of fact, I made myself forget about it. I pushed it like, obviously when it happened, I didn't want to admit to myself what that was, like what had happened. And so I just didn't acknowledge it. I just like went, like tried not to think about it and, and, and blamed myself or like, I don't know. It just, it didn't make sense to me. And I didn't remember half of it, which made me feel like I got roofied, but I didn't really understand like I ne I'd never I'd never been roofied before you know so I'm like is that what is that what it is is that what it feels like because like how do you know if you've never done it before and then when I was so that was when I was 18 and then when I was 25 I actually went to a club and someone definitely put something in my but I knew what was happening that time and I got out of there and I left. And I like grabbed my friend's coat and just left and like passed out and woke up at home. So, you know, I got, I got out of there, but it, I think even when it happened the, the second time, I was like, no, 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 no. Like I knew like this is, this was way too familiar, this, this feeling. And then, but I still wouldn't admit it to myself. Like, you know, like, how are you going to prove it, Sahela? You know, like, you're like the, the the defense lawyer being like, okay, let's look at the facts here. You know, like, were you drinking that night? Like, what were you, you know, like, did who did you go with? You know, like, were you being overly friendly? You know, like, you just make shit up in your mind and you're like trying to make excuses. You really don't have to address it or you don't have to blame anybody else for it or you can just 
I don't know, like at this point, you've probably also done so many destructive things that you're like, no, this is your character. This is your character. And you make so many excuses. And I think when I started, when, when I, I hadn't thought about it in over, like, I guess, it had 10 years since it happened, maybe like six years since the, the, the time after that I got roofied. But even then, like, I wasn't really, like, trying to go back and open that box and be like, let's address this now, <laughs> you know? So I didn't, I didn't address it for, like, 10 years. And once I started to, it was just, like, uh, it took me maybe, like, 24 hours or, like, I slept on it and I, like, got up and I was, like, crying. And I was, like, no, like, that was rape. That was rape, 100%, 100%. Like you were not conscious. It doesn't matter if you like can prove that you were drugged or not, you were unconscious. <laughs> so, you know, if you have like little flashbacks or not flashbacks, but like little, that's not, that's not enough to say like I was present, you know? So, I think it took me, it didn't take me long to be like, no, no, that's, and I think it's maybe because I was also already like a good, like a year, nine months, a year into my healing journey where I was starting to like address my negative inner dialogue. I was already starting to practice more self-love, um, have more self-compassion, stop playing the comparison game honor my body better and like build up self-trust because for the longest time I kept letting myself down and um and yeah and that's when I like it was like no you you're allowed to say you're allowed to say what it is you're allowed to admit what it was cultivating safety like you almost have to build up to it before the shock to know that like you can start to see the truth um yeah I think that's super relatable and unfortunately like a lot of the stuff that you had mentioned I mean that's a part of like what is termed or coined like rape culture now where so many people it is like you immediately blame yourself you're like well that wasn't me was it what I was doing um was it what I was wearing and like you mentioned and which I think is so important like none of that matters like <laughs> you know it is what it is right it's not um, the individual's fault. And I, like, I personally appreciate you sharing your story because there's so, like, I know so many people, unfortunately, specifically from college. I mean, basically probably out of the, the women that I lived with, 50% of them were sexually assaulted when I lived with them by people in college and, um, has, you know, their friend, like a wide variety of responses to that experience some similar to yours um you know I I don't really want to share other people's stories too much but um I just I know a lot of them similarly blame themselves though or were like well I was drinking or whatever so it's it was partially my fault and like, I remember just being the friend being like you know you, it's hard to know how to navigate that type of situation being like no this was not your fucking fault like that this is not on you based off of like 
any of the excuses that you've heard before. It doesn't matter what you're wearing. It doesn't matter that you were drinking whatever it is like, this is not on you. Um, but I also, as someone in my younger years and actually really one of my first like serious relationships, it was basically an emotionally abusive relationship. And, um, similarly, like I denied it as well. Like I just underplayed it. I didn't take it seriously. I remember someone gave a presentation once and I think collagen was like talking about their experience with abuse and relationships. And I remember just being like, Oh, she's being dramatic, you know, because I was totally just trying to deny my own reality. Um, and now many, many years later too, um, similarly, like just trying to figure out how to trust myself and relationships and trust that I'll have my own back because that, that patterning has continued. And a lot of times I'm like, Oh, I don't trust the people I'm with. And it's like, it's not necessarily that you don't trust the people you're with. I mean, it's a combination sometimes, but a lot of times it's that I don't trust myself that I'll take care of me. Um, and so that was like a really big awakening, um, in, in my own journey too. So when you, now that you are a kind of, a, it's like a stacked question. <clears throat> the first one is, I am personally curious how you share with the people closest to you, like how you share this information. Like it's clearly shaped who you are. I feel similarly like, like this, it, it, it's like this stuff shows up for me on the daily and I'm like actively working on grounding myself and checking in and, you know, making sure that I do feel safe. And, and I'm like at the point right now where it's like, at some point I do want to be in a relationship. And as I meet new people, um, I tend to be an oversharer of just like, here's all of it. That way you just know what you're getting yourself into. And if you don't want to deal with it, then I'll, it's totally cool. Cause I don't want to burden you with anything. So just so, so you know, here's what you get, here's what you're walking yourself into. I like give people an out and it's totally self-sabotage and not really giving people the chance to like allow me in, um, like on both sides, it's, it's not great, but I'm trying to figure out, which I know I'll continue to learn as I go through this journey, but I'd love any insight from you on what it's been like to organically share this experience. Cause it's not like, this is like a thing you just like bring up over, like, let's go watch this show or let's play, you know, have game night. And like, Oh yeah, here's this thing that I'm yeah. How do you, how does that weave in beyond the fact that I know you have this podcast? So that definitely is like a start place for you. Um, Cause I'm I'm struggling with that. Yeah. I mean, so I wish I had like a secret sauce for you or something, but really like I hadn't told, I mean, <sighs> when I, so when I got, after I got that message, the next day I posted a photo of me from Portugal and I had written this like nice caption out. And then I decided I'm deleting this whole fucking thing. And I'm going to tell people that I got roofied twice. And the second time I got away, but the first time I did it and, and I just did it on social media. And sometimes I feel like social media is just a big ass fucking void for me where I just yell something out and then I can close the app and walk away and life is still whatever except I have 28,000 followers <laughs> and so you know like 
now 28,000 people know. And so I'm, I'm maybe very impulsive and that could be part of my mental illness where like, I've always like, I've done things very impulsively as a way of like pushing myself to, to doing things. I usually, I'm pretty bad at strategizing. Um, I know you had mentioned um, Janelle that you are a generator. So I didn't know you were into human design, but I'm a manifester. So I don't need cues from anybody to tell me what to do. I just do it. And so the first time that my mom and sister uh, heard that I had been sexually assaulted was on episode one of my podcast. Um, I had never said anything to them before. My mom was very sad. Um, not that she had to hear it that way, but that it had happened. And she didn't really ask like too many questions about it. And honestly, it would have been way harder to sit down and have like a conversation with her one-on-one and just had to like, be like, this happened to me. That would be way harder than just like, blasting it out to the void and whatever happens happens and letting things fall as they may because what's the difference you know (laughs) what's the difference I'm trying to do this thing where I'm helping everyone else but I have to explain who I am and why this matters to me like genuinely and so I need to be honest like might as well be honest to everyone (laughs) And it was kind of like going to confession, you know, like I grew up Catholic and I don't practice at all, but it was kind of like going to confession and just laying it all, all out for everyone to, to hear and see. And, and it's going to be hard. I mean, I kind of wrote out what I wanted to say. And then I sat on that for three months because it was fucking scary. <laughs> and then I recorded it. And then I sat on that for another like month and a half because I didn't want to edit it. And then I edited, edited it over like a day and a bit, balled my eyes out, waited another week before I actually sent it out into the world, you know? and. Sometimes I still have like not nightmares, but like little panic attacks that like, was that a good thing to do? And I'm like, fuck it. <laughs> I'm tired. I'm tired of carrying this around. <laughs> you know, if it gives anybody a little bit more insight into me, then fine. Like gave gave me a lot of insight into me. Yeah. I can, I feel very validated in that in, from a standpoint of like, I often, again, this is probably me just like trying to avoid the fact that this shit happened by figuring out, okay, well, what's the best way of sharing this with people? Cause then I can focus on the strategy around that versus the fact that it fucking happened. And I can say it however the fuck I want, because it's my reality. And, um, and many times the strategies that I would have put in place didn't happen. I do just, I'm like a very open person 
And if I have like a little bit of feeling that there could be a connection there, I will just, I mean, I'll share what's there. Um, and so I do feel validated in, in your saying that because, um, and I think this podcast has helped too, because it's, it is a platform for us to, to be authentic. And if I'm not being authentic, then we're not really walking our talk. And so, you know, there are a lot of opportunities for both of us to be able to step out of our comfort zones and share what's really there. And so I am appreciative of this space, um, for that, but yeah, I just, I appreciate you so much because you sharing your story has given me the courage and the, I don't know if confidence is the right word, but um, it's given me something to be able to like literally sitting on your podcast and hearing you say I was sexually assaulted, like hit me. And I was just like, huh. And it was like the unwrap, it was the continued unraveling of truths that I too have kept, you know, somehow my inner survivor, like kept things hidden for me until I was ready to be able to actually face it. And, um, you know, I shared on your podcast that it was sexual harassment, but it wasn't, it was more than that. And I wasn't ready to like see it yet. And it is, it is, it does, you do blame yourself and you do. I I mean, I just had my therapist. I was with my therapist today and she was like, talk to me about the facts. And I was like, the thing is, I can't pinpoint anything. And so for whatever reason, my default is to go into that is my fault and that I could do something because that feels like the thing I can control. But like, it is so like tenuous and it's just crazy to me how easily I could convince myself that it's like, oh, it was just like a horny high school dude or like, oh, I was like, you know, I was sick. So I wasn't fully able to, I don't know, like all the stuff that I could just like, like I went through the Me Too movement and was like, that never happened. Like I, I, I that sucks that, that, that this is happening. This sucks that this is happening to so many women. And I didn't even like put two and two together and I'm not stupid. Like I just didn't want to see it. And to like have to sit with like, oh, I was sick with cancer. And then somebody felt that they could sexually harass and assault me is like the worst feeling. It may, I, it may, has made me feel so insignificant and small that I couldn't handle it until now. And it's same thing. It's like, I just couldn't carry the weight anymore. Like literally everything about me was like, too bad. <laughs> we're not holding it's we're done. We're done keeping tape on this house that is falling apart for the sake of this person who, what, what am I protecting this person for? What the fuck? It's. Yeah, I know. It's crazy. It's I, like, I don't know why we, we do this to ourselves and I also to your point like you're asking me about dating like I self-sabotaged every single relationship yeah. I've ever been in like I'm this guy doesn't go, leave he won't leave <laughs> you know like it's you know but he, he was like when I finally like admitted it you know he just holds me you know like obviously he 
he really cares and he really um you know wants me to be happy and maybe didn't like completely understand all of me but like I you know and tried to break up with him because I was like you're just gonna leave anyways <laughs> this is what happens like I don't have any I don't have enough confidence obviously in myself to think that I deserve love because I've denied it for myself to myself you know from myself <laughs> so you know why would anybody else love me too so you're not you're not alone in that thought for sure something that's interesting as you're you're both talking that's coming up for me is like we're keeping these secrets around these experiences that we didn't choose but very specifically I think when it comes to like sexual assault or I'm sure there's other things that could be like put in that category um keeping the lid on it more so and blaming ourselves like I'm I'm thinking of like another example in my life I've talked about it on the podcast but um I was like hit by a drunk driver like walking on the sidewalk drove up on the sidewalk plowed me over and that was something like right I didn't choose it would be considered traumatic but yet like you know we don't like I don't put blame on myself that I was on the sidewalk and someone hit me right um so I'm like curious for both of you and maybe you don't have an answer, but it just came up for me. Like why, I mean, why do we keep such a secret around these types of experiences? Is it, I mean, I'm sure there's lots of different factors from culture to judgment to shame. But um, again, like really, if you look at the two situations, they're both experiences and traumatic experiences we didn't choose, but some, like again, I'm like more than happy to tell someone that I got hit by a car, but others we're not as willing to talk about. Well, I think like shame is definitely a huge part of it. Maybe it's also control because you want to have some sort of control over the narrative that you, you didn't have before. Or maybe it's like the lack of self-love that you showed yourself. And again, like you're dishonoring yourself. You're dishonoring. That's maybe a lot easier to deal with than like thinking like oh I dishonored my entire family or you think of like all the okay so if I tell someone are they going to make me press charges am I going to have to go through like a year-long trial and investigation and then what if they don't get convicted and then so that was all for what and lawyer fees Oh, I just want to forget about this before it even starts because it's just so much. Um, and then, you know, like I was always very curious about like criminology and I would always watch like all of the serial killer movies or documentaries and I'd be so curious, be like, okay, like criminal mind like how does it work oh he's a sexual predator and I'd be so fascinated with these like serial rapists just to try to like not acknowledge what had happened to me but maybe like play down what had happened in a way or like being like well, well this is bad this is a rapist like what the person that did it to me that's not a rapist you know like or I don't even know like I was just I was there was always like a huge curiosity there 
you know, or like when, you know, when Johnny Depp beat up Amber Heard, Amber Heard, I forget, well, I don't even know what her fucking name is, but, um, you know, and you're just like trying to understand like, oh, I really like Johnny Depp. Could he do that to her? And then you're like, am I sympathizing with someone who just beat up his girlfriend? And you're like, hold on, what's going on here? And you're just like trying to kind of understand why you're why are you taking sides of like the not like obviously there's a victim here obviously there's someone who is like hurt here and so maybe you're just not showing yourself that kind of love and protection and so you're you're I don't know you're curious about like what had happened and maybe you're not believing the actual victim because you're not believing yourself I don't know, just a little rant. No, it's like, and that's kind of, I guess, my point. I think it's really hard to get to the bottom of it. Cause again, I'll use the same example, but it's not like when I got hit by car, the car, anyone's like, oh, well, I don't know. Were you a little too close to the edge of the sidewalk? You know, like no one fucking questions that shit. But yeah, like in these other examples, when it comes to like relationship dynamics and romantic partnerships or like sexual assault, we're just like, well, but okay, what are the actual facts here? And it's like, what? <laughs> yeah, I uh, I don't think I actually have an answer because I'm, well, at first I was like, I don't think I have an answer because I'm way too close to this. Like I literally less than a month ago, I it was honestly, I think from the podcast, being on your podcast that night, I went downstairs, I'm living with my parents and I went downstairs. They know that I'm in this like healing space of really choosing to face a lot of the things that happened to me when I was younger. I did not really think that it was going to include anything along the lines of sexual harassment and assault. That was just like, like it was there, but it was just like, uh, that was not the, I don't know. It's just, I mean, now it's a huge, I'm like, holy shit this makes a ton of sense. Um, but at the time I was just like, oh yeah. And then there was this like weird fucking dude that like would come to the basketball games and scream weird things and get kicked out of the basketball games. And like, anyways, that night I go downstairs, my mom is cooking and I'm like, and they're like, oh, well, who are you talking to tonight? Like, <laughs> who did you da 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 da? And I'm like, well, I had this conversation and I'm like, do you remember ever in high school there was a, did it, did I ever talk about like somebody that was bothering me? And they're like, no, we can't really recall that. And I'm like, do you ever remember somebody calling the house and like saying really fucked up stuff on the phone? And then my mom's like, oh yeah. And then I was like, what? And she's like, yeah. Um, somebody would call and say the nastiest stuff on the phone. And one time it happened and I gave the phone to your to my dad and my dad must have said something about like calling the cops or something and then I was like wait, 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 what and she's like yeah I remember that why and then I, I it was the first time that I'd ever had somebody corroborate what I thought I was maybe making more dramatic for myself and I was like no are you just saying that it's like that it was that crazy and she's like no like I was scared and I was like fuck and so then that kind of unfolded this and I, I have since realized that it was assault and I talked to both my parents about it um 
I am totally the person in the family that's like the most uncomfortable thing I could possibly say right now, we're going to sit down and talk about it. So (laughs) that's how I am. And when I shared it, my, you know, they were clearly upset that I hadn't shared it. My dad was like, why, why didn't you say something? And my mom think I was just like, don't you dare say that. And my mom was like, like, you can't, I can't remember what she said, but it was something along the lines of like, that's like victim shaming. And I, as I sit here now wondering, like, I think I just, I already felt so, I was like fucking 80 pounds. Like I was so sickly and like already afraid of like what was happening to me with the cancer that I I like, I didn't want to even live in a world where it was possible that something like that would happen, let alone to me. Like, what must that mean to me that those two things would happen? Like, and so the word I wrote down when you asked the question, Janelle, was pathetic. I felt pathetic. I felt small. I felt insignificant. I felt like I might as well not exist. Like, what is only somebody who is a piece of shit would have stuff like that happen to them. And so I didn't want to, I didn't want to see it. And um, yeah, so I am, I don't feel that way now, but I definitely feel like there's kind of two sides of like that, that person, that version of me, that 16 year old is still feels that way. And the adult me that is like learning how to like sit with that 16 year old Um, the adult me, the current version of me is like, realizes that I, I am a great human being with a lot to offer. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I don't have a really clear answer either, but yeah, it's almost like we're gaslighting ourselves. Like you just don't believe yourself and yeah, I, and you deny your own reality, which, but I don't know if I would, I don't know if I'm gaslighting it in the sense of like, I think of gaslighting as like trying to hold someone down or shut them up or something. And to me, it's a survival mechanism. It's like, I couldn't face a world, my world, if that was the, the, the case. And so I, it's probably a, some, some version of that, but I don't think I was trying to like self-sabotage necessarily. I was, I was trying to protect myself. Yeah. And that's not what I'm saying, but like similar in concept that like in your mind, whether consciously or not, it's like, here's this thing. And you're like, Oh, that reality is not real. That reality is, is false. And I do totally think it's a survival mechanism, but um, like same concept. Yeah. (sighs) It's so hard to, to process, you know, these things. And a lot of the time when we look at like our younger selves and what we had wished we'd, we'd done, you know, you think that, you know, you looking back that at, at that age, you were like, no, I feel pathetic, but there's not enough like self-compassion there. And that's one thing that I've been working on with myself on my healing journey, especially in this last year is like to have a little bit more self-compassion because the opposite of that was me taking shit out on my body. The opposite of that was me not showing myself a little bit of love when I needed it. The opposite of that was me 
having a lot of self-doubt and not, you know, like encouraging myself or, um, you know, or it, it was me playing the comparison game. It was me dishonoring myself in, in many, many different ways because, you know, we have that, that love for myself or, you know, like in that, in your instance, Rachel, like you're already going through so much and you're just trying to survive <laughs> and beat this thing. And you want like the, the, you know, uh, the finish line to be like this wonderful utopia that was worth all of this fucking effort. And if that's like, who's waiting at the utopia gates, you know, to like, be like, Oh shit. Now I still have to deal with buddy over here. Like, of course it's going to be so shitty to have like, why I would push that out of my way too. Like I would be like, no, this can't be part of my utopia. This person has to like, fuck off and die <laughs> you know like I have shit going on <laughs> so yeah and it's you know as I sit here today it's so freeing to be able to fucking talk about it I can't even explain how freeing and I don't I, that doesn't necessarily mean that everybody should just be like sharing everything everywhere immediately because if I had shared it sooner, it, I, I wasn't ready. Like it wouldn't have been a freeing experience for me. And, but now, you know, listening to myself and listening that it to like, now is the time to release this and the way to release it. Like I have these channels and these avenues and like the sharing of it is a freeing experience for me. And I can't like, thank you enough for creating space. I can't thank the True North Collective space enough for having the space, other communities that are starting to open up to actually be able to allow the real shit that is being human to exist because that way when you are ready to share, there is a space to be able to do that because it is I mean, it has been, it continues to be like, I sit here today being able to share this, not feeling pathetic, fe remembering what it felt like to feel pathetic. Um, but similarly, you, you know, I'm definitely self-compassion is such a huge part of um, my recovery journey. And it is allowing me to be able to sit and be okay that, that, um, that the younger version of myself or an aspect of myself, you know, if you're not into that approach, like an aspect of myself um, still hurts very much and still questions and still um, second guesses. Um, but yeah, it, it is, it, it is now freeing to be able to, to share this story and, and to know that by sharing it, um, other people might, might see, um, not see themselves in me, but like see themselves in the world and to be able to take that wherever they want to take it and not feel so isolated. Well, I think that's the empowering thing about people sharing their stories is that they don't have to be on the same journey or like have the same story or have the same things happen to you to feel empowered to tell their truth. 
and to share their story. I think that's what we all take away from things, but from hearing other people's stories is that like, no one gets off fucking scot-free in this life, you know? Like everyone has their own baggage and we're all trying to do the best to work through it. And yeah, we all could use a little bit more self-love and self-compassion, but you know, what happened to us doesn't have to define the rest of our lives and we can still like we are still becoming who we want to be and you still have control of that so do you want to let this thing continue to control you or do you want to fucking control yourself like or do you want to like take the reins and decide how you're going to live your life because and still until you start addressing your issues the cycle is just going to keep repeating and so by pushing it away and not addressing it you're just allowing that self-doubt to creep in you know you're allowing for those destructive habits to come back and you're not mindful of anything and it's just going to keep continue to keep going yeah I always say now I'm like okay, so I can continue to delay the inevitable, but I've been delaying the inevitable for over 20 years. So it's going to hurt no matter what, like now it's time now to do this because the more you do it to the, the more I have faced these things, the more I've realized it does fucking hurt. And then there is another, there is another side, like when you can go through it, it's, um, and the more that I allow myself to experience that, the more I'm able to experience all that exists that is within me but um the first few times is like I mean I guess it's facing that self-doubt of like okay it's either gonna like totally backfire or it's gonna maybe be what everybody says it's gonna be I guess I'm so tired at this point I'm willing to try it and um I'm glad that I have and I want to acknowledge you too for like you started that podcast, at least what I heard, I could be wrong, but not because you were done healing, but because you wanted to bring people along on the journey. And I, I I just think that that is, um, such a beautiful reminder, um, that this isn't about getting to some end point where then you can be like, here are the 10 steps. Like it's about, being in it with people and knowing that that is life and that it's okay. It's, you're not okay because you've like gotten through it. You're okay because you are where you are and you're acknowledging what's here. So I just thank you for being that modeling. Yeah. Newsflash. There is no, (laughs) there is no end utopia place of like, uh, I'm healed. I mean, that would be awesome, but that doesn't exist. And even like, you know, before this, I was telling you guys, like, when, like, six, five, six years ago, no, it had to be more now, it had to be like, ago, I um, was on Wellbutrin, um, which is an antidepressant, got off of it, was very proud of myself, I've been very, very proud of myself um, about that, not that there's any, like, shame in taking medication or anything like that, but I was just, like, glad that I took the time to learn tools that will actually help me deal with my anxiety and depression by myself. And even then I had a relapse, you know? And so, um, but in January I got off birth control mainly because I'm 33 years old now and 
my doctor uh, retired. And so a new doctor came in, was looking at my chart and was like, hey, you know, this birth control you're on, it will um, give you blood clots like as you get older. So you might want to consider switching. And so I told them that, you know, I would talk to my psychiatrist to make sure that they know they're aware of what's going on before I like make any big switches. I just don't want to like fuck with my hormones, blah, blah, blah. My psychiatrist told me to go see my gynecologist, saw my gynecologist. And he was like, well, if you're planning on having kids, you've been on birth control for like 15 years, you might want to, you know, consider even like getting off of it if you're going to have kids, because it's going to take two years to get out of your system. And so January rolled around and I stopped taking birth control and my moods around my period have been so manic. I just like ball my eyes out and I can't handle like the littlest criticism or you know like if I have to go to like two grocery stores to find something I'm just like having an anxiety attack or like I just I things are just so much more difficult for me and I'm just I know I'm a strong person I know I can handle a lot and take on a lot but when you are when you're when you have like a hormonal imbalance like I'm like a baby. I can't handle anything. I just want to like throw a tantrum and like, you know, cry and crawl into a ball and I can't handle life. And like, that's not, that's not me as a person, but you know, I don't know. I don't know what this means for me, except maybe that I need to get back on antidepressants because I can't live my life like that either. Um, You know, and eventually like I will need to, stop taking birth control if I want to have kids and I would like to learn the tool I thought I knew them you know I was practicing them but you know every day every day is different and you know you'll you will be triggered by things that you thought you were going to be okay with and sometimes it's not even your fucking fault sometimes it's a pandemic you know and it's been like a year now in this pandemic and before before I even started my podcast before we were in this pandemic I was like a travel influencer content creator journalist I wrote for two publications like I was a travel journalist and I was getting lots of gigs I was starting to get paid more like things are on the up and like you know I had a conversation a week ago about like what am I doing and I'm just like what do you mean what am I doing I'm 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 doing the things that I always did is like but the environment has changed so if you're not adapting to this new environment and you're like then then you're you're just staying in the in the same and everything else has changed around you so it was a real conversation to have but you know it was necessary because it's like yeah I guess I guess like we don't, well, eventually it'll come back, but like, am I the same person that I was a year ago? Do I want those things? The same things? Like we always have to like adapt to our new environment and our new surroundings. And sometimes the same, the same job and the same gig isn't going to be the same things that you want a year later. And that's what I'm kind of realizing. So I'm really trying to mind map what it is I want for, for my future 
even coming out of this pandemic? Like, what if it stays around? What if it doesn't? How are things going to change? Am I going to continue to travel like four times a month? Is that realistic? <laughs> so, yeah. I don't know. Such a, such a relatable life. <laughs> life moment for sure I mean Rachel and I are even talking about that when it comes to the True North Collective and just like how do we view the business and Rachel I'm pretty sure you said it's like it's gonna change week by week and how do you stay fluid and if the last year has taught me anything it's basically the same thing like I was always a really stringent planner and I needed to have a plan and I was on this path to hit this goal and now it's just like I don't know people ask me stuff and it's like I don't fucking know like I'm just like <laughs> I'm just here today and I don't know, something will maybe show up tomorrow and then I'll get to say, that sounds good. Or like, nah, I don't want to do that. And just like keep going, I guess. But it's um, a wildly different place and perspective to live out of uh, from, you know, the first 28 years of my life. Yeah. And if things aren't looking the same, like, trajectory wise like before things were looking up like things were going to be get better things I was going to get more publications I was going to get on more trips I was going to get more paid gigs you know and right now like I get none of that so you know I'm learning like oh okay Sahila have a little bit more self-compassion for the fact that like the rug was ripped under from under you okay that had nothing to do with you if you had if you could have kept going doing what you were doing and the world was still like turning around everyone was traveling still then yeah you were doing great and it would have been great but that's not what happened and so you're not in the same place and it's not your fault not your fault um and you're just trying to do what you can with what you can in this situation and it might not be ideal or as fulfilling or bring you as much money as you were making before but have a little bit more self-compassion for the fact that like it was it's not in your control and not everything is going to be and and that's sometimes really really hard when you're like going from something more successful to like something less successful you're like where did I fuck up and it's like well you didn't fuck up (laughs) like everything changed so it's not your fault and I think we're so used to blaming ourselves for, you know, well, like, okay, well then I guess I'm a failure if I can't continue this. It's like, no, you're just, you know, (laughs) being cautious. It's like getting infected and spreading it to other people. So, but it's hard. Yeah. And defining what success is too, which we talk about a lot, like, is it more or less successful or does your definition change? Because I was also just, on one about that too like I'm getting through my 20s and I feel like my career path rather than this like climbing this corporate ladder it's like I've just like went to the top and I've just been sliding down (laughs) the past six years you know but what were you gonna say Rachel oh I was just gonna say I'm gonna butcher this but um I don't know like four years ago three years ago I had listened or read something somewhere about the English language and how the way that the it's it's um, constructed is it innately places blame somewhere. So like you broke your leg instead of like the leg got broken. 
So in a lot of other um, languages, it's just like the leg is broken, but here it's like, I broke my leg or you broke your leg. And so there's always this um, personalization. I, I don't, they didn't call it that, but it was a whole article about how in this language that in this, in this uh, society where we um, use English, um, there is innately a blame placed or a personal placement on and how that um, kind of unfolds into the psyche of how we experience life and how we experience things that happen to us and um, around us. And so I think it's interesting that we're having that conversation around this. And, and then you add in the layer of, um, I don't know what they're calling it, but we tend to focus on like the person who had the thing happen to them versus the actual perpetrator. And so there's like, there is a lot of interesting nuances that exist that seem um, just there and benign, but they actually, words are very powerful and they have an energy to them and, and they, um, they are there. Like how we talk about all of these things, a hundred percent influences the experiences that we have and the experiences that we're creating around us. And so I just, I think it's interesting. Um, to, to like sit with that and acknowledge it. Well, that's what the power of mindfulness is, right? It's like, even when it came to my negative inner dialogue and I would say something and be like, well, that's not, that's not true. You know, or like I'd say something and I'd have to like stop myself and be like, why are you saying these things? Why are you even going there? Like, because you're just filling yourself up with these, your subconscious with these negative, this negativity and you're the only one who is carrying that around. <laughs> no one else really is like has to deal with all of this negativity except for you. And, and then now you're just allowing it to like take over your, your space and like your mind space. And for what, for what, what is the end game here? Because it's exhausting and like, you don't even want to listen to yourself, you know? And I think that, but me learning how to be more mindful and even when like my boyfriend says something, you know, be like, oh, don't say those negative things. Like, there's no, like, yeah, okay. Like it might not happen the way we we want it to happen or this might not like be the, you know, answer to the thing that we're trying to, to answer. But like, I believe in miracles. I need to believe in miracles. I need to believe in miracles because there has to be a light in in my life. And I want to think of like, and I don't want to be like naive about it, but I want to be, I want to be happy and I want to be positive and I want to think positively. And I, if it doesn't happen, it doesn't happen. But like, at least like I feel good, <laughs> you know, and then maybe like it'll make like the thing not coming true or not happening easier to bear because it was like, okay, well, you know, that was, that was fun. Let's go to the next one. You know, it's just like, okay, we'll, we'll start thinking more positively about the next one. And I don't know, mindfulness. <laughs> My, I have a friend in Dallas who, if she would hear you talking bad about yourself, you know how sometimes you'll like passively be like, oh, I'm such an idiot or something. She would always like run at you and be like, stop talking about my best friend like that. <laughs> and I just always loved that. Like, I was just like, it got you, it got me every single time I would catch myself 
saying things in my own head of like, oh my God, Megan's going to like come at me and be like, stop talking about my best friend like that. So I just, I, I share it. I love that. I want to so start that. That's really cute. Yeah. <laughs> I want to start doing that to people. Um, I was also just going to add, it's been a while since I've shouted him out, but the angry therapist still reading his book. And I just read the chapter last night on like negative self-talk and the thoughts that we have. And he calls out in his book, single on purpose that basically those thoughts aren't even really yours. Like someone else put them there, whether it be people in your life, society, whatever. So as we're talking about like where we're kind of blaming or like placing the blame and how we're putting it on ourselves a lot of times, even those negative thoughts that are in our heads, you could also say like they were put there by someone else. So it's not necessarily even that you put them there, right? Um, They're things that we've been taught. So like if we tie it back to self-compassion, you didn't just create those things about yourself in your head necessarily. Yeah. And it's so tricky, you know, to, I think it's more like, okay, now I have to turn towards myself and admit that I just like went there and unpack that. And then maybe the reason why we avoid like being mindful and having self-compassion because it means that we're going to have to like address this right now. And that seems like a lot of fucking work. (laughs) And so we're just like, okay, we're just going to like, just, you know, let this negative thing wash off of us, except, you know, it doesn't actually wash off of us. It like sticks on and then we're, we're just not addressing it in our subconscious, but you know, there's, healing is not easy and it is it gets easier that's for sure but it's a lot of you know self-awareness and self-compassion and um, sitting with yourself and just being mindful but it is like very powerful and it does help you in the long run and it does help you feel better in the long run and it's so rewarding, so rewarding. Um, you know, I would, I would never give this up <laughs> and like turn back the t- time because, you know, it was painful. Like, yeah, it was painful, but it needed to happen because for the longest time I wasn't giving myself that kind of like love and attention that I needed to. And finally, until I started to, I actually get to be my authentic self and I get to address these things and like put them down and then continue to walk without them and continue to have like open and honest conversations where I can like I mean even like when I you know when I tell my story it's not easy it gets easier definitely every like every time but you know, I'm probably still gonna, someone, uh, it was like, um, like having a, a hangover, you know, when you have like conversations like these, where you're being open and honest, you kind of have like a, a hangover where you're like thinking about them the next day, or even the, ne- the day after, and you're still processing things like even I don't know about you, but like, when I record a podcast, and then I edit the podcast, and then I make all of these like, graphics for the podcast like later on so I've listened to one of my episodes like three times at least and so I'm hearing these conversations over and over and over again and the stuff 
just percolates and percolates and percolates over the next month. Where if I had like a conversation about midlife crisis, by the end of the month, after hearing it three times, I'm literally going through a midlife crisis because I'm like, oh my God, like I've been thinking about midlife crisis for like three weeks now, you know? And so it just, but, you know, it really like helps you address the things that you needed to anyways, and that you were maybe pushing off or you weren't addressing. And it, and it um, really helps you like learn who you are and all of the the beauty and you know imperfections and your your strength I mean I you know I, I told you earlier that I really like to run well there's a there's a hill here at the cottage that when I started running here last year I used to use like a lot of pain and anger to get me up that hill and I used to like really like think of something that was really pissing me off and it would push me up that hill and I started doing the hill now, like once we've, now that we've been back and man, I do that hill no problem. I don't even like it's, I don't need the pain anymore to get me up that hill because now I'm strong enough myself. I, I've done it so many times. I've done that hill so many times. I know I can do that hill. No problem. I don't need the pain and the anger anymore to get me up that hill. And that's like huge. That's huge. Oh, I so appreciate you. I, I feel like every time we talk, there are, there are sentiments or essence or even specific words of what you are sharing about your experience that I am able to borrow for myself. And, um, and I percolate on them in a way that is like moving me in a direction back towards myself. So I, I just really really am grateful for um your voice and you in 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 this space and in the world thank you um so our last question that we or we have two more questions but the second to last question is how do you live your true north in one word i think i've mentioned it a bunch of times and i'm still working on it but you know i have been trying really, really, really hard to show myself more self-compassion. And I think it'll allow me to be a little bit more gentler with myself and allow for beauty to evolve through the pain. I don't, I, there needs to be a light. And I think self-compassion is that light. It's beautiful. And if people want to get in touch with you, what's the best way to do that? Um, well, they can follow me on Instagram. I'm pretty active there. It's, is that so? Uh, it's spelled exactly as it sounds, but there's an H on the end. And then, of course, I have a website, www.isthatso.com. And then my podcast is the Is That So podcast. And you can find it on pretty much everywhere. <laughs> you have no excuse. <laughs> Beautiful consistency. Oh, yes, I know. I love it. Thank you so much. You're amazing. Thank you so much for having me. I love chatting with you girls and I hope you guys stay in touch. This has been another episode of the True North Collective podcast. For more from Rachel and I, check us out on the gram at the True North Collective underscore 
and make sure you're signed up for our mailing list. You can do that at thetruenorthcollective.org to stay up to date on all of our resources, tools, and upcoming events. We appreciate you being here with us. We'll see you next time.